1: And as I've shared with you before, I have three law degrees, I have my JD, and I also hold a couple of master's degrees in law. That is to say, I am a master of the laws of taxation law, and I'm also a master of the laws of intellectual property laws. Now, both of these great master's degrees were obtained from my favorite alma mater, Golden Gate University School of Law, which is located in the beautiful city of San Francisco. And because of my training, my experience, and my lifelong interest in business and economics and the roles they play in the lives of everyday people, I primarily practice bankruptcy law, debt wealth management, estates and trusts, real estate, and of course, taxation law. And as I have shared with you before, I'm also proud to say that sometimes as part of my practice, I have the opportunity to at least seek out an attempt to vindicate the rights of seniors As more and more of us find ourselves with big targets on our back for charlatans who want to take advantage of whatever little savings we've been able to accumulate after a lifelong, you know, years of working to have something to retire off of. And so it gives me a great deal of pleasure to go after these bad guys. Now, I'm coming to you again today from my continued voluntary lockdown in my makeshift studios in another one of the world's great cities, that is to say the always beautiful Oakland, California. And I come to you to discuss some of the financial and legal issues confronting individuals, families, and small business owners. However, I must once again ask you to please note that this show does not provide any legal advice, nor am I developing an attorney-client relationship with anyone within the sound of my voice. Instead, this show strives strictly to serve as an educational forum for the exchange of information that might be helpful to you as you begin your search for more detailed information that's tailored to your specific set of facts and circumstances and hopefully Provide you with at least an overall outline of some of the issues that may help you seek out and find qualified professional help to help you with your legal and or financial or both issues. And I do this because I really do think you put yourself behind the eight ball when you try to represent yourself in court. There are so many pitfalls and that cause pratfalls for lawyers. And so, why put yourself in that situation where you might not understand the procedural aspects of your case or the substantive law aspects of your case. And as such, you might, you know, misfire. And as a result, you uh, will, you know, have your righteous claims and your valid defenses go by the boards and um, see the promised land way before you do. And as I say, it's kind of like taking a butter knife to a gunfight. Guns win, butter knives are used as cutlery. So once again, I must share with you the purpose of Selwyn's Law, in case you haven't guessed it, is to discuss the law related to your money and finances, or in today's environment, the lack thereof, and what you may need to consider to protect your and or your families and or your Small businesses and all your employees, health, wealth, and money-related well-being, as I understand these uh, concepts in this non-threatening form. Now, as you know, and I've shared with you, experts in the field of consumer and bankruptcy finance predicted there would be a tidal wave of consumer and business bankruptcies starting in the third or fourth quarter of 2020. Well, we're in the fourth quarter now, and there's been some reporting out. And according to the American Bankruptcy Institute, also known as the ABI, an organization that I'm a member of, it reported that total U.S. bankruptcy filings in October of this year decreased 41% from last year at, at during October. Uh, and that's according to data that's provided by ABI's research partner, Epic Systems Incorporated. Now, the 40,209 total filings in October 2020 were down from the 67,858 filings registered in October of 2019. And the 37,688 consumer filings in October 2020 also represented a 41% decrease from last year's consumer total of 64,279. And the overall commercial, that is to say business filings in October 2020, totaled 2,521 filings down 30% from the 3,579 filings in October of 2019. And the commercial Chapter 11 uh, filings increased slightly uh, in October up to 550 from the 530 that were recorded in October of 2019. So throughout 2020, more than one half of the commercial Chapter 11 filings have been uh, related filings to subsidiaries within a major corporations groups. Now this decrease in some sense, to me at least flies in the face of the fact that so many individuals, families and small businesses of all small businesses, but businesses of all size are facing severe financial challenges that are due to the economic impact of the COVID-19 pandemic with its losses in jobs, and causing businesses to close, coupled with those individuals and businesses growing debt load and having little or no income to service their debt. As such, according to the ABI's executive director, Amy Quackenboss, the expiration of the government relief programs, which expired a long time ago, high unemployment, and difficult financial outlook for many sectors will likely lead to an increase in filings in early 2021. First off, just a a quick bit about the ABI and why we all should at least listen to what it and its insolvency research partner, Epic Systems, has to say on the subject. According to the ABI, it is the largest multidisciplinary, nonpartisan organization dedicated to Research and education on the matters related to insolvency. Now, ABI was founded in 1982 to provide Congress and the public with unbiased analysis of bankruptcy issues. Uh, The ABI membership includes 11,000 attorneys, of which I'm one, accountants, bankers, judges, professors, lenders, turnaround specialists, and other bankruptcy professionals. And it provides a forum for the exchange of ideas and information, which it's true. I, I, I get a lot of um, reward of being a member of the organization, really great educational programs and the like. So with that said, why is it people aren't filing for bankruptcy? I think a little bit of it has to do with most people don't really understand what bankruptcy can and cannot do and how it might be able to help. Individuals, families, and small business owners, and it's not this dreaded uh, curse that will follow you around for ten years and not allow you to ever get another credit card, which might not be such a bad thing. but at any any rate, that's not the only thing <laughs> that bankruptcy is good for. However, I'm even more compelled to talk about this today as I want to at least attempt to take our minds off what I consider to be the disgusting, continued craziness that's taking place in our political spheres back on the national level and share just a little bit of good news about a couple of bills that were passed by the California legislature this past fall and signed into law by Governor Newsom That will go into effect on January 1, 2021. Now, in my opinion, these bills, when coupled with the prudent use of the bankruptcy court, may help some of us who are faced with losing our homes and apartment keep a roof over our children's head. They have the potential to do that. Now, a few weeks back, I shared with you all information about AB 1885 that was authored by California State Senator Bob Wachowski, who represents California's 10th District, which includes the southern part of Alameda County and parts of Santa Clara County. Now, beginning on January 1, 2021, AB 1885 will increase the existing homestead exemption in the event of a family having to file for bankruptcy from $75,000 in equity for singles, $100,000 in equity for married couples or a household that's headed by a single person with at least one dependent in residence, and $175,000 in equity for seniors or disabled individuals who are at least 55 years of age. Two, $300,000 or the countywide median sales price for a single family home in the calendar year prior to the year in which the judgment debtor claims the exemption in a bankruptcy case. It caps the amount at $600,000 and beginning in January 2020, adjusts annually for inflation. Okay. In effect, AB 1885 targets the middle class California homeowner to enable them to keep their homes in bankruptcy, even if they file in liquidating Chapter 7 and have no more equity than what is called for by the bill. And it can up to 600,000 in some situations. But I have to inform folks they have to who've reached out to me that you have to figure out a way to make your bankruptcy uh, happen uh, in the beginning of 2021. Well, there's another bill on the books in California that may provide some help starting also on January 1, 2021. And when we come back, we'll discuss SB 1079 by Nancy Skinner, who represents Berkeley, California. Her bill would require uh, a sale of foreclosed properties. They would require that the tenant and or the owner-occupier have an opportunity to buy their property back after the foreclosure sale. Stay tuned. I'll see you on the other side.
0: Now, back to Selwyn's Law. Once again, your host, Selwyn Whitehead.
1: Welcome back to Selwyn's Law as we continue our discussion of SB 1079. That is a bill by Nancy Skinner, who represents Berkeley, was signed into law in September by Governor Newsom. And what the bill does is makes it possible for an individual who has lost their home in a foreclosure sale to have a window of opportunity to buy the property back. That's kind of sexy to me, but then again, I'm a nerd. Okay, so here's a great overview of SB 1079. It's contained in an excellent article that was published in Lexology, a publication of the California Lawyers Association, an organization that I'm also a member of, and it was written by Michael R. Leakey and David Gowell. Of Shepherd Mullins, Richter, and Hampton LLP. Now I'm gonna just read you some excerpts from it because they do such a great job of explaining it. I don't see why I should have to recreate the will. Now they say after the recent passage of SB 1079, a significant change or significant changes to the non-judicial foreclosure process will go into effect on January 1, 2021 for real properties containing one to four single family residents. So I'm just gonna put a pin in it right here and it just quickly explain that for the most part in California, foreclosures are handled non-judicially. That is to say, when you buy your house, uh, 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 there's a relationship that's created between the entity that owns your the, the note and deed of trust on your home, and a trustee, and a beneficiary, and as such that when you fall behind on your mortgage payments, there is a window of opportunity for you to catch up, and uh, that window uh, then moves quickly to where there is a notice of a trustee sale, and uh, during that 20-day plus or minus period, you have an opportunity to pay everything that you owe. And if you don't do anything, uh, the last few days of that 20-day window, you can file for bankruptcy and try to, to salvage. Otherwise, your house is sold non-judicially. You don't have to go the, – the lender doesn't have to go to court. So the, the, another way that foreclosures take place are judicially. And that's normally for businesses, because one of the things that you give up when you take a, do a non-judicial foreclosure is you don't have the right to go after the deficiency. But if you want to do a judicial foreclosure, the lender can go after the de- deficiency of the borrower. So just to put that on the record. So uh, uh, again, uh, uh, SB 1079, it changes the non-judicial foreclosure process effective. January 1, 2020, but it's for small properties, one to four family residences. So it establishes new rights for tenants and community groups, including government. SB 1079, Amends Section 2929-3 and 2929 twenty-nine twenty-four of the California Civil Code. I laugh because I... have to deal with those codes when trying to help my clients stay in their homes. Uh, Officially, SB 1079 is nicknamed Homes for Homeowners, not Corporations. The new requirements and rights will fundamentally extend the foreclosure process with the goal of allowing more foreclosed properties to end up in the hands of individuals and nonprofit organizations engaged in the development and preservation of affordable housing. Now, this is the interesting section here. It's called um, the right to bid post auction. Now, currently, non judicial foreclosures sales for real property are deemed to complete. And final, when the auctioneer on the county's uh, uh, steps accepts the final bid and the trustee gives the purchaser a trustee deed. Now, let's put a pen in it. Again, that relationship between the lender, the borrower, and the beneficiary. So, um, the settler, in effect, is, is kind of like what well, he well, not kind of like it's, it's like a trust when you set up a, a trust for yourself. There is the settler that, um, and then there is the trust, trust and then there is the beneficiary. So when you have a foreclosure sale, that's what's going on. The ownership of the property is, is transmuting to these different entities. And generally, like it says, um, the 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 end. The sale is deemed final when the auctioneer accepts the final bid and the trustee gives the purchaser a trustee's deed. However, SB 1079 salient change disrupts this standard, providing something known as an equitable tenant buyer and eligible bidder the opportunity to purchase the subject property after. The trustee sale closes unless the prospective owner, uh, defined further, is already the successful bidder. So, if if one of the people to whom this bill is targeted actually already ends up with the property, then that's the end of the deal. But say, for example, um, the tenant uh, or the uh, owner occupier in a one to four unit property, maybe the owner lives in one of the units, and he has three pieces of income property. Those three tenants are eligible as well as the owner-occupier, as long as he's not or she's not a corporate entity. Now, the prospective owner-occupant is the last and highest bidder at the trustee sale. The sale is final. Otherwise, eligible tenant buyers may purchase the foreclosed property by one, delivering written notice of their intent to place a bid with the trustee within 15 days after the trustee's sale. So there's that 15-day window. And they have to match the last and the highest bid at the auction. Eligible bidders have the same right and must exceed instead of match the last and highest bidder. So Okay, it it depends on whether you're a tenant or the owner occupier of a one to four unit piece of property. Now, who is eligible? Eligible tenant buyers include any natural person who, at the time of the trustee sale, occupied the real property as their primary resident under a lease agreement as a result of an arm's length transaction. with the trustor prior to the recording of the notice of default against the property. The eligible buyer cannot be the trustor's child, spouse, or parent. Again, the trustor would be the borrower, okay? Eligible bidders are defined to encompass more potential bidders, including the following. Eligible tenant buyers, nonprofit organizations, uh, um, a cooperative corporation that's eligible uh, as a tenant, a limited partnership in which the managing general partner is a nonprofit corporation based in California, a limited liability company with a managing member who is eligible, nonprofit corporation based in California, a community trust, a limited equity housing cooperative, the state the Regents of University of California, a county, a city, a district, a public authority, or a public agency. So this gives a wide range of possible bidders. Again, the goal is to keep residential housing in control of, of, of people, as opposed to conglomerates and these entities that buy a property and basically um, sometimes hold it off the market until the price grows up, and they, um, you know, basically limit or inhibit the ability for people to stay in their houses. This is exciting to me for a couple reasons. I like the idea of people living in houses and not on the streets, and it's also going to be an opportunity for a lot of litigation, as I'm sure, and as a lawyer, I'm always interested in uh, legal theories that expand or sometimes contract uh, precedential value of uh, of the law, uh, because the law is the way for people to deal with their disputes and not um, um, uh, butter knives and, and, and bullets. <laughs> That's just my general philosophy. So the gentleman who wrote this article, they concluded this way. They say, um, Also, but there's substantial fines if um, uh, people don't follow through. So in closing, they say the proponents look at SB 1079 as a necessary piece of the puzzle to fight California's housing crisis. However, they conclude by saying there is worry on the naysayers part that um, there's going to be substantial litigation and the inevitable need for the court to get involved because of their amb- ambiguities in this law, just like there are in all just about any laws that's put on the books. So this bill is in effect from January 1, 2021, and it sunsets on January 1, 2026. So there's going to be a lot of opportunity to see if this actually is going to help. Um, I think it's fascinating. I hope it does help, but I surely intend to be involved in this, <laughs> in my practice. So I'm going to leave this, leave it there for now. But in closing, I like to say here at Selwyn's Law, we always want to stay on the right side of the law, including supporting laws that may help us and our children stay housed and off the streets, even if we have to file for bankruptcy to do so. So till next time, take care.